the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. And the subtlety of false teachers is that they teach alongside of real Christian leaders in order to gain a following. I read once about a man who bought a horse from a Quaker farmer at a county fair. Knowing how honest Quakers are, he didn't ask any questions or dicker on the price. When he got home, though, he discovered that it was a lazy, ill-tempered horse. The next day he returned to the Quaker and complained. Thou hast no complaint against me, said the Quaker. Had thou asked me about the horse, I would have told thee truthfully the problems, but thou didst not ask. Well, that's okay, said the farmer. I'll just sell it to somebody else. May I borrow your hat and coat for a while? Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve is launching into a new series of lessons about the dangers of false teachers. One of the things that makes them so dangerous is that they masquerade as real teachers. We'll be looking at 2 Peter chapter 2, so I invite you to follow in your Bible if you can. Here's Pastor Steve. I'd like you to turn in your, uh, in your Bibles to what has been called the most terrible chapter in the Bible, at least one of the most terrible chapters in the Bible, and that's 2 Peter chapter 2. So let's turn there. 2 Peter chapter 2. It has been called terrible because it gives a detailed description of the false teachers who pose the spiritual threat to Peter's readers. In this chapter, Peter exposes these false teachers as evil men, not good men. Not just misguided men, but evil men who spread error for the purpose of deceiving naive and ignorant Christians and keeping non-Christians from coming to Christ for genuine salvation. In this chapter, I want you to know Peter is direct, Peter is blunt, his language is forceful, and he is not concerned about being what we would call politically correct and tolerant of of these men and their views. In fact, it is my opinion that this is the chapter that that makes 2 Peter such a, a, a book that's not very popular. Most Christians are not familiar with 2 Peter, nor are they familiar with the little letter of Jude, because uh, Jude and 2 Peter are very similar, especially in this chapter. In fact, this is such a strongly worded chapter of condemnation and judgment that the famous Welsh expositor D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said these interesting words about 2 Peter 2. I quote, anyone who enjoys reading a chapter like this must surely be abnormal. That's what he said. It is a chapter which has much in it that is unsavory and unpleasant, and I say left to one's own choice and one's own likes and dislikes, this is the kind of chapter that one would avoid. But you know what? We must not avoid it. 
We must not avoid it because this is one of the most important chapters uh, for Christians to understand, and many don't understand it. Why is this important? Well, remember why Peter wrote this letter in the first place. Let's back up a little bit. He wrote his letter, his second letter, to protect believers from falling into false teaching and following the evil ways of false teachers who had infiltrated the churches of, uh, of Peter's readership. And, and the way Peter did this was to enlighten his readers as to the truth. He gave them knowledge and information designed to protect them. In fact, the key word and, and the whole letter is built around this, this one concept of knowledge. Knowledge, probably because the false teachers said they had inside hidden knowledge, higher information that they would, would share only with those who came into their fold. And Peter uses that concept to say, no, wait a minute. You have knowledge. You know the truth. I'm just reminding you of the truth. And so the whole letter is built around the concept of knowledge. For example, in chapter one, he gives them knowledge of how to grow spiritually. How to grow spiritually. Why? Because ignorant and immature believers are very vulnerable to smooth-talking cultists who lure them into their cult. You see, if you're not grounded in the truth, then you're open to believing error. So Peter says, understand and know how to grow spiritually, chapter 1. Chapter 2, he gives them knowledge about false teachers, which is where we are at now. And we need to know the enemy and how he operates in order to be alert and aware and not be gullible by them. And so in this chapter, Peter gives a detailed description of what false teachers are like. He exposes them for the heretics that they are. In chapter 3, he gives them knowledge of Christ's return, of the second coming of Christ. Why? Because this is one doctrine that these, uh, that these false teachers harped on. And not only did they deny, they actually scoffed at it. They mocked at it. So Peter said, I, I want you to know the truth about Jesus Christ. I want you to understand the reason why he has not returned yet, but he will, and what to do in light of it. Now, you and I are 2,000 years removed from Peter's day and the specific brand of heretics of that day, but false teachers still pose a serious threat to us and a very dangerous threat. Why? Well, not only do they attract people that you and I want to see come to Christ, but they actually lure some Christians like us into their fold. You see, a significant number of people who make up the cults today formerly attended an evangelical or fundamentalist type church. In fact, it's estimated that 25% of people in cults have some type of a Bible-believing background. Now, I'm not saying they were always believers, that they were believers, but they had at least some orientation. I read this week about one Christian leader who is an expert in the field of cults and false religions. That's what he does. And he said that it is a common myth to think that only unbelievers get involved with the cults and that born-again people never get involved. That's just not true. So you and I do not have the luxury of thinking that we could never get mixed up in, in false religion or some heretical group. Remember what Paul said, he who thinks he stands, take heed, what? Lest he fall. Don't ever think that you're beyond this. A true believer will never ultimately reject the the person and work of Jesus Christ, but we are very capable of being confused and lured into some very strange doctrines and teachings. In fact, if this wasn't possible, then why would Jesus warn his followers in Matthew chapter 7? Remember, he said, beware of false prophets because they come to you in sheep's clothing, but they are really wolves. 
Now, Jesus said that to his followers. The Sermon on the Mount is given to his followers. So he said, beware of false prophets. The only reason Jesus would say that is because we are capable of following them. So we have to be very careful. The Apostle Paul clearly saw the possibility of Christians being led astray into false doctrine when he said in 2 Corinthians 11, he said, I am concerned for you, lest Satan beguile you. He, he could deceive you and draw you away from the simplicity and godly devotion to Christ. I'm concerned for you. In fact, if you read carefully, most of the New Testament letters are addressed to churches that were struggling with some type of false teaching. That's that's usually the background of a New Testament letter, some kind of false teaching, either Gnosticism or legalism or something that was wrong. So because false teachers do pose a real threat to all believers of all ages, the Lord inspired the Apostle Peter to write a detailed description about them in his second letter in chapter 2. So that watch this. Each generation of believers can recognize their characteristics and their methods. This is for us. We are one of those generations that need to know how to spot false teachers. So this morning, we want to look at the first three verses of 2 Peter 2, which prepare us really for the rest of the chapter. But in, in what way do they prepare us? Watch this. The first three verses certainly give a description of false teachers, but they give more than a description. They actually go beyond that. They actually tell us why they are so dangerous. And that's important for us to know. You see, if you and I don't think that they're dangerous, we're not going to be really alert. We're not going to really be concerned. We won't see a need in our lives to to be really uh, alert and discerning and not naive. And thus, we will not be protected from their errors. So this morning, what we want to look at is we're going to discover three characteristics of false teachers that make them very dangerous. So let's begin by looking at the first characteristic of false teachers that make them so dangerous. It's this. Number one, they are subtle. They are subtle. Second Peter chapter two opens this way. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. Now, Peter begins this chapter by making a prediction. And his prediction is that false teachers will infiltrate the church in the future. But if you've been with us in our study of, of Second Peter, then it ought to be obvious from our study that, that false teachers had already begun to arrive there. It, it wasn't that Peter was saying it's something in the distant future that doesn't affect you. No, I take it that they had already begun to infiltrate the churches, and Peter's prediction is that in the future it will be on a larger scale. It'll be on a more massive scale. It'll be more apostasy, more heresy. But now it's beginning. Now, how did Peter know that there would be a rise in, in false teachers within the church? Well, God certainly may have, have revealed this to him in a specific manner. That's very possible. But it may also be that Peter just knew this sort of common sense-wise based on the experience of Old Testament Israel. You see, he bases his prediction about false teachers arising in the church based on the presence of false prophets who appeared to Israel in Old Testament times. That's what he means when he says, notice how he opens up. He says, but false prophets also arose among the people. He's talking about the people of Israel, Old Testament people, the Jewish people during Old Testament times. And the basic principle that he's teaching is that it has always been the experience of God's people to have Satan's spokesmen infiltrate their ranks to try to lead them astray. In other words, there have always been and there always will be false teachers among the people of God. That's an eternal principle. 
In, in fact, he, remember, he closed chapter 1 by telling us about the true uh, prophets in the Old Testament. They spoke from God. They were carried along, moved along by the Spirit of God. They were inspired prophets, true, genuine prophets. And now he makes a contrast between Old Testament false prophets. These were not true prophets. But they, they came to Israel, they, they arose in the midst of Israel, and they will arise and have arisen within the ranks of the church. And that's precisely, folks, what makes false teachers so dangerous. It's not only the content of their error that's dangerous, and that, that's certainly true, but it's the fact that they arise from within the church, where they're very difficult to detect. There's a subtlety here. Initially, they are not easy to spot. They, they come uh, from the church and they appear at first to be true believers. They're subtle. They're not easy to detect because they look at first to be just valid teachers. And when they teach, they actually teach in a deceitful manner and a, in a subtle way. Notice what he says. He goes on to say, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you. And here's what they do, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Now, the Greek word that is translated secretly does not mean that they they hide in a corner and while the regular service is going on, they've got somebody in a corner teaching a little little group. They do it privately. That's not the thought here. The word literally means to bring alongside, to bring alongside. And the subtlety of false teachers is that they teach alongside of real Christian leaders in order to gain a following. That's the subtlety. In other words, they are hard to detect. They aren't very obvious because they parade themselves as real men of God, pastors and teachers and professors in seminaries and and Bible school, Bible colleges and Christian schools. After all, it only makes sense. They're not going to get up and, and announce to everybody that I'm a heretic. Nobody does that. They don't say that. They pose as real, genuine teachers. And And we ought to know this because... Paul specifically dealt with this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. If you look there, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, the Corinthians were affected by another group of apostates. He called them false apostles. The principle is the same, though. They were false teachers claiming to be one thing, but in reality being another thing. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Beginning at verse 13, he says, For such men are false apostles. Notice he said deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. Listen, they disguise themselves. They they do not announce that they're false teachers. Nobody says they're a false teacher. Nobody says they're a heretic. Nobody says they're a false uh, in any way or they're a cultic uh, group or a cult leader. They don't do that. But by teaching alongside of godly teachers, they give the impression that they are genuine spokesmen for the Lord and they're not. They're not. In fact, Jude, as I told you, Jude is very similar to Second Peter chapter 2. And here's how Jude described these men in verse 4. He said, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. We, we didn't even realize that, that they were in our, in our midst. Those who were long before marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness, which means a license to sin, and deny our only Master and, and Lord Jesus Christ. We're not sure if, if Jude was writing of exactly the same people, but it's close enough that you get the point. 
False teachers creep in unnoticed. They masquerade as true godly individuals. And the Apostle Paul, remember, he warned the church at Ephesus, the elders, that uh, in Acts 20, he said that from amongst your own midst, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They're not coming from the outside. They're coming from within. That's that's just a principle. So false teachers will take their stand with true teachers and will appear to be very, very credible, very sound teachers. But what comes out of their mouths will be serious error. Peter called it destructive heresies. We just looked at that. He said that uh, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies. They will come alongside of valid teachers, but what they teach is labeled destructive heresies, which basically means errors that lead people to spiritual ruin, to hell itself. That's what he means by this. You see, teaching that, that deviates from the, from biblical truth about the gospel is a serious matter. It is so serious that it has the potential to send people to hell because it is not the gospel. And, and you and I need to be aware of this. It is another gospel. It is not the gospel, though they may use some, some of the same terms and, and biblical phrases. For example, last night, Michelle and I were watching a little TV, and we happened to see Robert Schuller on TV. Art Linkletter, believe it or not, was giving something of a testimony, and then Robert Schuller spoke after that. And uh, you know what Robert Schuller said? He, uh, I forget the exact context, but he said something to the effect of uh, the value of man. He said, you need to have your ego satisfied. He said, now I know there are some Bible teachers who uh, say, no, 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 that would be wrong and it would be pride and all that. But he said, we're valuable and you've got to have your ego satisfied. Listen, that is the gospel of self-esteem. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ who puts the emphasis on the value of God not the value of, of man in terms of, of that. But this has been embraced, and he's been embraced by many evangelicals who think that, that this is a man, maybe he doesn't preach precisely from the Bible, but he's a good man. No, he's not. He is a, he is a wolf in sheep's clothing, and we need to be alert to this. Uh, this is a man... And I told you when we began this series that I would I would name names because it doesn't make sense to just generically say these things and then you go out and, and listen to these people anyway. No, you shouldn't listen to a man like this and take in his, his teaching because this is a man who believes that the greatest problem we have is a need for a new reformation and uh, the greatest issue is to get our self-esteem up there. And uh, he does not call sin, sin. The old reformation was very, very wonderful. It called people back to the the gospel of grace and told us how to be saved, not by works and not by the church, but by Christ and, and his death alone. So now if this, and there are many others like that, but if this type of teaching is so powerful that it can damn a person for eternity to hell, and it can because it tells them everything is good, you just have to work on being a better person, which is the opposite of the gospel. But if this type of teaching is so powerful that it can damn a person for eternity, then how can you spot it? How can you spot it? They're not always easy to spot. If false teachers are so subtle that they give the impression that they speak for God, then how can anyone detect who's a false teacher and who isn't? Well, Peter gives us some insight as to how to detect them by the next uh, phrase he uses. He says, even denying the master who bought them. Now, that's very important. This applies to all false teachers. He says, even denying the master who bought them. In other words, not only do they teach error about Christ, but they even go so far as to deny him. 
Now, what does he mean by this? All false teachers, without any exception, I say this dogmatically, are characterized by a defective view of Jesus Christ, his person, and his work. Every false teacher, every cult, that's one of the marks of, of false teachers and false religions and, and all that. False teachers, now, generally, they deny a lot more than that. They deny the essential doctrines of the faith, such as the inspiration and inerrancy of the Bible, man's sinfulness, salvation by grace alone through faith, and eternal judgment. Those are just some of the absolutes that they deny. But in addition to these biblical absolutes, false teachers always have a defective view of the person and work of Christ. Peter says that they deny the master who bought them. Now, in what way were they denying the Lord? Well, it's interesting. The Greek word that we translate, at least in my translation, it's it's, uh, presented as master. That is not the usual word for Lord. It is not uh, kurios. It is it is a different word. This word means one having supreme and absolute authority. Absolute authority. And it appears to be that he's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, some take it that he's referring to the Father, but it seems to me to be the most natural uh, interpretation is referring to Christ because Peter states that it's the master who bought them, which also seems to me to be referring to the purchase price of, of his blood in his sacrificial death. Now, the destructive heresies that these false teachers propagated certainly uh, had to include uh, denying critical truths about, about Jesus, such as, for example, his virgin birth, his deity, his humanity, his atonement, uh, his resurrection, and certainly his return. We know that from this book itself. But Peter's point, and here's what I want you to see, is that these false teachers went so far that they even denied the sovereign lordship of Christ in their own lives. It isn't that just their theology is defective, their lives are defective. That's that's his point here. In other words, they refuse to submit themselves to Christ having supreme rule over their lives as their master. That's That's what Peter is talking about. Now, how can you detect a false teacher when they're so subtle and hard to detect and at times sound like true teachers? Listen, it's very easy. True believers and teachers gladly confess, gladly confess that they are not their own because they have been purchased by Jesus Christ. They're not perfect in their submission to him, but that is characteristic of their lives. That is the overall direction of their lives. They gladly submit to him. They realize that he purchased them by dying for them and they are bought with a price and they're not their own and they bring glory to him. However, False teachers are not like that. False believers, as well as false and counterfeit teachers, repudiate Christ's rightful claim upon their lives. They refuse to submit to his authority. Refuse. Absolutely refuse to submit to his authority found in the word of God. And and I want you to know, it's not that these false teachers were ever saved and now they're just backslidden. That's That's not it at all. Notice the expression, who bought them. Well, what do we do with, with this verse? Now, as I said, I recognize that there are good men who see it differently, but it seems to me that the most natural interpretation of this is to see that uh, these people reject Christ's rightful place as their Lord by virtue of he is Lord and he is, uh, he is over them by virtue of the fact that he's purchased them by his death, but they don't want anything to do with it. Uh, 
That's, that's how I see this, not as, uh, not as some other, some other view. I don't see them as believers. I see them as making a false profession, claiming to be believers. At least at one time, they made a serious, strong profession, but it was false. False teachers are in ever-present danger, especially in these days of instant widespread communication. There are countless blogs and websites, for example, each claiming to be a source of truth. How do we know, though, which ones we can trust? One way, as Pastor Steve Kreloff just said, is to look at the life of the teacher. But that's not easy when the so-called teacher is some anonymous person whom we've never met. In that case, we want to emulate the Bereans of Acts chapter 17 who were eager to learn the new-to-them teaching, but they were not at all gullible. They checked the scriptures to see if what they were hearing was true. We should do the same, especially concerning what they say about Jesus. You have been listening to Verse by Verse. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is the radio version of his teaching ministry. Our web address is versebyverseradio.org. Visit us there to find an archive of all our broadcasts available for free download or streaming. Since we are a listener-supported ministry, you can also learn how you might help keep these Bible classes on the air. That's versebyverseradio.org. I have a friend named Peter who told me about receiving a letter from a prominent TV preacher who claimed that if Peter would send the man $100, God said he would give my friend $1,000. Well, Peter actually did reply to the so-called evangelist, but not the way the man expected. He wrote back saying that it sounded like the preacher needed the money more than he did, so it would be better if the preacher sent the $100 to Peter so that he could get the $1,000 that he seemed to need so much. <laughs> I'm Jerry. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.